0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the FortiGuard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. I'm Glenn Maiden, and I'm joined by my New Zealand colleague, Joshua Orcock. Joshua and I are very lucky to have a very special guest today, Jordan Hairspring, who heads up CERT New Zealand. So today we've actually got a very, very uh, brief webinar, but we wanted to just, uh, we had the opportunity to speak to Jordan. So we want to talk about sort of some of the struggles and some of the challenges and some of the um, successes and wins that we've had in fighting cyber threats between sort of the Australia and New Zealand and even worldwide with some of the global data that we're seeing. So um, just to kick things off, Jordan, I don't know if you wanna make a few opening comments on um, I guess, you know, the cyber threats that you're seeing now, the type of, um, uh, the type of victims, the type of attacks, anything that sort of, you know, comes to mind immediately? Well,
1: that's, uh, there's a lot Big question, a big yeah.
0: question, I apologize. <laughs> um, we see, we see all sorts of victims,
1: shall we see everything from large businesses being compromised, government departments having Phishing attacks, that type of thing, um, all the way down to individuals suffering phishing, ransomware, business email compromise type of stuff. Um, and the impacts really vary a lot between those as well. Like we see people who might lose a few hundred dollars and that's a big deal for them. We might see a company get ransomed, and they can recover from it and move on. And, um, you know, so it really affects all those levels of you know, organization and individuals. And there's lots of knock
0: on effects out of general lives as well. Oh, excellent. Um, Josh and I did a presentation before where we looked at sort of some of the industry verticals that were, um, I guess, sort of most prone to be attacked, um, even looking sort of from a worldwide perspective. And sometimes it's a bit surprising. So, you know, in New Zealand, similar to Australia, where a lot of our economy sort of is in that sort of small, I guess that small industry vertical, so that's sort of 20 people or less. So, yeah, you know, that's probably about 95% of the economy. Um, but we are actually seeing a little bit of a shift from threat actors from, I guess sort of, you know, the small side of town to targeting the really big, more mature industries. I mean, I guess are you still sort of seeing sort of plenty of activity against sort of some of the, the you know, the, the SME sort of space? Yeah, I mean, EZL is quite similar that about
1: 90% of our um, businesses are under that 20% mark. So it's, it makes up a very large portion <laughs> of our economy. Um, but we do, we have also seen that shift. Um, so there's a, a fairly well documented case from last year um, where an IT provider was at low rents where they had Lots of effects on lots of organisations um, and yeah, attackers are definitely moving in that direction, going for the high impact, high result um, type uh, organisations.
0: Yeah, it is interesting when we do the threat research, sometimes there's some um locally here in Australia and in, in New Zealand obviously, but sometimes we do actually follow some of those uh, global trends. So- Talking of trends, I mean, are you see, what are you seeing, I guess, different um, in, uh, now in 2023 as opposed to sort of, you know, last year or even going back a few years, have you seen sort of, you know, uh, any distinct sort of, I guess, uh, takeaways for people in terms of where the attacks are shifting or have shifted? Yeah, I mean, we'll start with the global
1: trends. I mean, the global trends, it's a global internet. Um, it doesn't take too too long for traffic to get from one side of the world to the other these days, which is great for communications, but it brings up all sorts of risks. Um, if we've got other trends, you know, we a few years ago, most of the um, malicious activity going on was still targeting you know, people's computers, organizations' computers, servers, that type of thing. And when it comes to organizations and businesses, it, yeah, it still is targeting servers at the mail mail stores and that type of thing. Um, but for the attacks that are going after individuals, we see more and more um, targeted at mobile devices. Um, malware you know, and phishing attacks being distributed through sms or other messaging type services um, and search engine optimization poisoning social engineering combinations of all of the above um and some of those have really um nasty effects on on the people that they have therefore but
0: i've got a question around you know we focus quite a lot on critical infrastructure and in operational technology and I think we've found out quite quickly that a lot of organisations or even home users have connected devices that aren't putting them kind of into that same operational technology type of environment where a lot of these devices are being exploited uh, and maybe not necessarily patched. Are you seeing you know that being a contributing factor to
1: a little bit of the you know the crime out there? It's, it's definitely a contributing factor and it's that's part of the whole social engineering thing, you know, you work out who works for that company, what technology they have. Um, look at someone's social media profile, you can work out how to target them, or what you might need to target them with. Once you get inside that person's network, you might get access into their
0: organisation, the business they work for as well, Um, yeah. It's interesting, again, so Australia, New Zealand, sort of where we have got so much in that sort of small to medium uh, uh, enterprise market. I mean, if you were to ask me what I thought, like in terms of, you know, leadership and boards and um, CISOs uh, and CIOs, you know, are they more cyber aware? I mean, the answer obviously yes. Um, what we still seem to see a lot of those sort of smaller businesses getting hit really, really, really hard. Do you think that um, the level of cyber awareness uh, A, the level of cyber awareness but B, the resources available to some of these smaller businesses uh, is just not there yet at all? The, the resourcing one is definitely a concern.
1: Like A lot of small businesses can't afford the latest firewalls or the latest XDR, whatever you want to call it. Um, what we try to do as CERT is, is go up to them with sort of fairly simple things, you know, multi-factor authentication, good password hygiene, privacy settings and updates, that type of thing that's, you know, as security professionals, that say that's the basics. Um, but for them, getting those things right can make a massive difference, um, even if they don't have the resources or budget to um, buy all the tools and technology that um, some of the larger entities do. I and mean, you, you guys have had quite a, you know, a large push in
0: terms of that side of hygiene, multi-factor, and things like that. Are you seeing um, that kind of pay dividends yet, or, or is it still something coming?
1: I mean, we, we definitely see a lot more phishing attacks being stopped by multi-factor authentication, which is fantastic. Um, but we're also seeing um, some phishing groups starting to move to you know, multi-factor authentication token capture type attacks. So, um, as we progress with our defence as we see the attackers the progressing and
0: evolving their attacks too. One of the, um, I think it's probably one of the more successful sort of programs that our Australian Cyber Security roll roll about is this idea of the essential eight. Um, the, I guess sort of the framework that I'm really quite excited about is where they've sort of put it into the prevent bucket, the limit bucket and the recover bucket. So, the idea being is, you know, well, we, we do what we can to prevent. We can't always do that. How do we limit, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the extent of a potential breach? And if in the event of a breach, you now how can we recover and get back up on our feet as quick as possible? Um, is there, um, have you guys in CERT um, New Zealand done a similar program to that? Yeah, so
1: the, the essentially it's really cool. Um, we do something similar, we call it our critical controls. They include all the things that are in the essential aid, um, but they try to spell it out in a way that's more accessible and more achievable for a lot of organizations. So the essential aid is fantastic, but it's really focused on uh, entities that have got capability and can do some pretty good stuff. Um, our critical controls focus and that ground level, okay, you won't have anything in place, here's what you need to do, here's the steps that need to follow to build that from from zero to actually, I've got some controls in place. To actually, now I've got all those controls in place, and my backups have created. Um, a few other things on there, multi-factor authentications on there, um, using password um, password managers is on there. Um, and, and we uh, added it you on this here uh, around building awareness with your people as well. Um, you know, the users of your network are part of that network. Make sure they know what to look out for and. How to work with your security teams to protect your network too. Good
0: yeah, Dan. Excellent, PJ. I know um, uh, you know obviously whitelisting has been seen for many years as one of the really effective controls, but it's also reasonably difficult to uh, implement, and you know it does have an overhead in terms of yeah uh, you know, ongoing maintenance. Whereas you know if you did something simpler, like potentially just like network blacklisting, um, you know with an off off the shelf uh, off the shelf product like a Fortigate or something like that, yeah. it might be a nice. That um, might, might, might be a nice step as you move to you know, um, potentially put a full and whitelisting listing solution yeah, down the track. Absolutely, and that's, that's, we have our application allow listing control and that,
1: that's kind of the journey it goes on is that start with blocking things you don't want people to access to, and you know, work towards, allowing only what access is required. Yeah, excellent.
0: Well, what keeps you up at night? you didn't think it was going to be this hard
1: Um, I mean as as far as security goes there's there's a lot of things that we know we don't know and I know that's pretty cliche Um, but in this corner of the world to be honest it's been fairly quiet Um, and whether that's because of things going on in other parts of the world I can't say Um, but there is a a feeling that we need to get prepared and then we're not prepared enough for what might be coming. So um, trying to bring that thought across to people and help people understand that we need to be continually working to improve our posture is is what I focus on.
0: No, I love that answer. I mean, obviously, you know, I talk about sort of things like uh, hybrid warfare and some of the um, state-based threats probably to um, I bore everyone to death, but um, I do think that, uh, you know, now, yeah, disruptive cyber weapons are, are, are much more common and much more prevalent, and much more easy to pull without geographical limitations. So um, I think that you know it's only a matter of time before we start to see some serious uh, implications from them. So yeah, the only I guess we have got the only, but one of the, the key things there is preparation yeah. and um, that's probably you know one of the best things you can do, as you say. We've certainly seen it in Australia that the level of preparation still isn't quite these and, and I think that's it's good to take that to all in Australia, preparation to the, the general population. Yeah. such a wider awareness, and, and um, you know, and, and going back to what you were, there's been a common theme is kind of victim blaming in terms of you know someone clicking on a phishing link or and, and opening up to compromise. So changing that cultures important. Yeah. Move moving
1: from saying you shouldn't have done that to okay that happened. Yes, how to avoid it. Yes, technical things we can put place great, but here's some information for you to know what happened and, and what to look out for. And, um, and when we look at that in preparation for some sort of large scale event, and it might be as simple as telling the families on around the block, you know, if you've got things you care about on the internet, back them up. For organisations, it might be a little more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's there's layers of that question to uh, to unpack. Yeah,
0: definitely, definitely. Um, well, I guess, uh, just in the interest of keeping this sort of short and sweet, is there a couple of sort of final messages that you'd like to sort of fast uh, sign off? I mean, a lot of these, um, a lot of these sort of um, podcasts that we do or web, uh, webinars that we do for Fortinet uh, go to North America, they go to Asia. So we've got sort of some very different sort of, um, I guess, sort of demographic demographics demographic that are that are listening to um, or watching this particular webinar. Um, do you think there's some real strengths in terms of what we've done uh, here in the ANZ region uh, the, yeah, and learnings or you know, key messages that you think that we could probably push out and uh, and the rest of the world could learn from? I think one, one of the great things with New Zealand and Australia is that we work together so much
1: um, and that collaboration, both from government and from industry across the Tasman really helps build that um, good and, and strong security protections around the two countries. Um, and you know, for, for everyone else out there, um, Work with each other. Uh, this this battle against cyber crime and and cyber attacks is is not something any of us can do alone. Um, it, it takes all of us to to rise this tide and um, lift all the ships, as those
0: as the cliche. It makes it makes so much a difference just to be able to like you know ring up and uh, you know talk to a and that you know and um, you know be able to share information quickly with with context. So you know obviously like. Um, yeah, threat feeds is, is one part of the solution, and it's one very powerful, very very um, uh, compelling part of the solution. But yeah, it's that uh, that context and the I guess you know being able to draw upon the expertise of uh, different organisations and you know, different um, different views. I think that's, that's going to be the next level of maturity. Yeah, hundred percent. Thank you, Josh, and especially thank you, Jordan, for joining me today. This has been another episode of FortiGuard Labs Threat Intelligence Podcast. Learn more at www.fortiguardlabs.com.